Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that you speak to us through it. Help us to learn from it. Please grow us, change us, uh, and form us into the image of Christ, that all the glory may go to you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Friends, it's the dawn of a new era. And you know what? You guys have testified to why we should go this way. Everyone has taken notice this morning and spoken to me and interested in why I'm like this. Uh, It's a new way of showing respect and reverence for God expressed through the way that we're dressed. You know, and if anyone new comes in and joins us, we'll know that we worship God, that this is serious, and that we are serious by the way that we dress. Do I have your attention? (laughs) Those of you who know me are going, he's just speaking rubbish. Those that don't know me are going, what's happening here? Most of you know me too well to believe what I've just said. I'm not being serious about instituting a new way we dress, although I suspect there'd be some people who would uh, argue that case, but we're not going down that path. But friends, up on the mountain, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' words had people's attention. He's been talking about who the blessed people are. The only thing was, he wasn't mucking around. He was serious. He was speaking about the dawning of a new era for God's people, the people of blessing. But Jesus hasn't mentioned anything about being Jewish. He hasn't mentioned anything about the law and the keeping of the law and sacrifices, which were central to the life of the Jews and the life as the people of God for centuries. It was far weirder than me wearing a suit for a Sunday service. The crowds would have been thinking, what's going on? Now, everyone who's actually spoken to me was saying that, what's going on and why are you dressed like that? Those questions were, were coming at Jesus, or at least were in the heads of people. What are you saying? Why are you speaking like that? What about the old ways? What about the ways we've known for so long? What about the old covenant? What about those words of God in the law and the prophets? What about what God has said through Moses? Jesus knows they're the questions. And in verses 17 to 20, Jesus responds to them. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to unpack these verses that we look at today. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the old covenant. I've come to fulfill it. I'm going to take this jacket off because it's really warm. (laughs) I'm not taking the tie off because I'm going to have to do it up again for the next service. And that's... Nah, it's all right. It's all right. Just by the way, when it says the law and the prophets, that was the, the way the Old Testament was referred to. Okay, so when, when it says the law and the prophets, think Old Testament, and I'll probably say Old Testament most of the time because that's how we refer to it. But Jesus has come. And all God's promises, all his plans, all his purposes uh, in the Old Testament have been heading to this day. Not today, the, the day when Jesus had come. And it's not a revolution. 
It is the dawning of a new era. In John chapter 5, Jesus would say to the Jewish leaders, do you know what, you guys study the scriptures diligently, you work hard at it, because you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, said Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? God's purpose was to bring in his kingdom. And Jesus has come as the king of that kingdom. And he doesn't want to abolish the words of the Old Testament that were all pointing towards him. He doesn't want to destroy the words that testify that the king has now come. All right, so Jesus is at the top, standing at the top of the mountain, and it is the dawn of a new era. But that is hard for people to wrap their heads around. Even if I had been able to do this seriously, that would have been hard to wrap our heads around, wouldn't it? particularly if you're my age or younger, when dressing in your Sunday best hasn't really been the thing that we know of in church. But the role and the importance or the place of the Old Testament is shifting here with the coming of Jesus. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, John the Baptist, Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing their way into it. It's not out with the old and in with the new. The Old Testament is a very important part of the whole. So we want to be people that read the whole of the scriptures. Not just the Gospels, not just the New Testament, but all of the scriptures. But knowing that the preaching of the kingdom fulfills the Old Testament. And that is a key for us to understanding the Old Testament. So I was thinking about it, I think it's a bit like uh, sun, moon and stars. See, the moon testifies to the sun. The moon testifies to the sun, as do the stars. For the sun is the stars come near. The moon is what is what it is because it reflects the light of the sun. So we're going to see the Old Testament as fulfillment. We understand the Old Testament as we see the sun, S-O-N, Jesus, and his glory and reflecting off that. Uh, is God come near. So fulfill is the key word. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He's the object that the Old Testament pointed towards. And Matthew helps us see this over and over again. If you if you sat down and read through or listened to, to Matthew in one hit, one of the things you would walk away with, one of the phrases that would be ringing in your head would be, this was to fulfill. This was to fulfill. This was to fulfill. Because he keeps pointing back and showing how the coming of Jesus and the things that Jesus was doing fulfilled the Old Testament. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, he fulfills the prophecy of Hosea. Then when Hosea said, out of Egypt, or God said in Hosea, out of Egypt I will call my son. 
In Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus goes to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, again, it was this was to fulfill. He was completing what God requires of him at the start of his ministry. So all the threads of the Old Testament are being drawn together. Jesus isn't destroying the past. He's actually making sense of the past. And he's bringing it to fulfillment. It is the dawn of a new era. And in that new era, we have a greater, more personal authority. Look at verse 18 and 19. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Every detail of the law remains valid until two things happen. This present world passes away and everything is accomplished. Jesus says every dot of the law, every little dot above an eye, every little cross of a T stands until God's plan of salvation for mankind is accomplished. The plan that Christ has come to fulfill. Then all that the Old Testament spoke of will have been fulfilled as Christ takes God's plan into the next day. And he will do it through his life, his death and resurrection. And he'll bring it to its ultimate triumph when he returns in glory. The law stands. The Old Testament stands. But we must read it with the Son, S-O-N, the Lord Jesus, firmly in the picture. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So as we read the Old Testament, we want to keep asking the question, how does Jesus fulfill this? So it's a really helpful thing for all of you in Bible study at the moment, working through the Psalms. The Psalms mostly are written by the king or as a representative of the people of Israel. So it's really helpful to to go, okay, what's it saying about the king and the people of Israel? Question number two is not, so what does it say to me? Question number two is, how is this fulfilled in Christ? How does Jesus fulfill this psalm? Question three, therefore, what are the implications for me? Which may not actually be the emotion of the psalm straight to your life. Because Jesus may have fulfilled that and it has implications then for your life rather than necessarily taking So the question is always, how is this fulfilled in Jesus? What did it mean for the first people? How is it fulfilled in Jesus? Therefore, what are the implications for us? Which is exactly the shape of your Bible. You have the Old Testament, what's happening for the people of God as God relates with them in history. The Gospels, how is this fulfilled in Jesus? The New Testament, what does life look like in light of Jesus fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament? It's the shape of our Bibles. Now, we don't need to run around trying to fulfill 
the laws of the Old Testament. Because Jesus has already done it for us. Christians are saved not by keeping God's law, but by receiving God's grace. And his grace is made available to us through Jesus, the only one who could keep and fulfill that law. And that sets biblical Christianity apart from all other religions. There is no way of being good enough for heaven. There is no way of being good enough for God that we can achieve as humans. Any human-centered, any works-based religion is useless. In fact, it's, it's less than useless. It's, it's straight out a false path, a wrong trail that leads you to being lost and leads you to destruction. You will be lost until such time that you see Christ as the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. And their way forward, having seen Christ, having turned to him, having put your trust in him, is to express that trust by submitting or listening, paying attention, taking on the teaching of Christ. And Steve's already picked this up in his introduction to I'm following the king. Uh, If we're following the king, we listen to the king. If we're following the king, we pay attention to his words. We'd be obedient. Now that's verse 19. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of God. Pay attention to Jesus. Now, if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you'll hear all different things about how do we understand the law and things of the Old Testament. The law often ties people in knots as we try to understand what it's all about and which bit applies now and which doesn't. Jesus is giving us that great lesson that it points to him. Ask those questions. How is this fulfilled in Christ? He'll show us how we relate to the law. And as the Gospels go on, we see the way to keep any of those commands is to fulfill its purpose. Sounds like gobbledygook again. It's not by legalistic, external law-keeping, rule-keeping, but as it always has been, by a heart of love for God, a heart expressed in a child's obedience to please the Father. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So this is early days. God has saved Israel out of Egypt, made them his people, and they're on the verge of entering the promised land. And God says to them through Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. To which you might say, well, what about the Ten Commandments? They were pretty significant and important and have long been taught. Well, if anything, Jesus exalts and raises the authority of them. They express the character and the values of God. Uh, And in understanding the law and the Ten Commandments uh, as a particular example of that, they actually expose our sinfulness. They show us 
our need for Christ's salvation. They drive us, actually, to the Saviour by showing how far short we fall to the glory of God. But they also flesh out what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. They can't save us. Keeping the Ten Commandments won't save you. It won't justify you before God. But we ought to delight in them. We ought to allow them to shape our life in Christ. Because just like the Beatitudes, as we live out and take to heart the Ten Commandments, we're being shaped by the things that God values. And again, next week we're going to pick up a lot more of that in the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is showing us the way to a deeper, more radical obedience than simply law-keeping. That's his point in verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness, unless your right deeds, your right living with God surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In some ways I feel like I've struggled to get my head around that sentence because I haven't met the Pharisees and I wasn't around then. I think so, but these words are really daunting to Jesus' hearers. The Pharisees devoted their lives to the law. The Pharisees devoted themselves to not breaking the law. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were professionals. They explained, they developed, and they applied the law to every imaginable situation of life. One of the laws says you're not allowed to carry anything across the threshold on the Sabbath. Right, so you can't carry something through the front door of your house on the Sabbath. Sometimes you've got to carry things through the door on the Sabbath, right? So how do you get around that? Well, open the window and pass it through the window. We've kept the law because we didn't take it across the threshold. Right? They took the law, applying it to every situation. Because you know what? Kathy and Chris... They needed dinner and it happened to be the Sabbath because they're not well. So how do I get them their dinner? Well, I don't pass it through the door, I pass it through the window. And I haven't broken the Sabbath. That was the sort of things they were doing, right? Professional law keepers thinking through it all, every situation so we don't break it. They've taken the path of law keeping and missed the signpost that said heart. They missed the heart of the law. And so they took the law, domesticated it, brought it down to, to their level and put fences around the law, adding all sorts of qualifications and restrictions so they could get to a point where they could say, I am keeping the law. Look how good I am. I've kept the law. And they became proud and self-sufficient. And you know what they did? They kept themselves out of the kingdom. because they made the law, they tried to make the law something they could practice and do and even keep in their own minds. While they missed the ultimate radical demand of hearts given to God. In some ways it came out of good motives to start with, didn't it? Lots of things come from good motives and become a mess. In writings discovered from around the first century, the time of the first century, The Pharisees actually had a nickname. 
They were called smoothies. The Pharisees smoothed everything out. Right? Everything is smoothed out. Image was everything. Outward compliance, not heartfelt reliance. It was a shocker. They'd missed the point. Now, we might not pass a meal through a window on a Sabbath to avoid going across the threshold. But being Pharisees is alive and well today. Even among correct, conservative, Bible-loving, Bible-teaching circles, where we, we take on the Christian norms and the cultural norms and we try and live up to some sort of external standard of what it means to be a good Christian. Totally missing the purpose and direction of Jesus' teaching. This was confronting stuff as Jesus spoke. I haven't come to abolish or destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. It's only in Jesus and through obedience to Christ that our righteousness can surpass that of the Pharisees, that our righteousness can be acceptable to God. Jesus doesn't set the Old Testament aside. He brings it to completion. And he teaches us the mark of loyalty to him is that we obey his teaching from the heart. Our king teaches and our king lives the fulfilment of the law. So we need to ditch playing smoothie Christianity. Only Jesus saves. And when we start to understand Christ is the fulfilment of the law, we start to see the characteristics of the Beatitudes that we've been looking at in the start of Matthew 5 come into play. When we see Christ is the fulfilment of the law, when we see Christ is our righteousness, it makes us aware of our own spiritual poverty, our spiritual bankruptcy. When we measure our lives against him rather than against that other person, we see how far short we fall and how desperately we need a saviour. When we measure our lives against Jesus, we see we desperately need him. We need one who does fulfil the law. We're driven to admit our spiritual bankruptcy. We're driven to mourn over our sin. We're driven to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're driven to seek God's mercy. That is the way into the kingdom. That is the way of kingdom people. We become entirely dependent upon his grace. That great gift to us, uh, the grace of the king's law. Uh, Right here is why Jesus does not destroy the law and why Jesus' words don't contradict the Apostle Paul who's always emphasising we are saved by grace. So the good news is it is only by grace that we can be saved. It's only by grace that we can be justified through faith in Jesus. Jesus and the response to Jesus teaching, the response to Jesus and his death for us is to seek his grace in our need to to go to him for forgiveness, for salvation, 
for a righteousness that we can't attain ourselves. See, grace is a bedrock of the gospel. Jesus fulfilled the law as our representative. And by fulfilling the law, he was able to die an atoning death in our place, a death that could bring us back to be at one in right relationship with God, forgiven, justified, right with God. The law could never and can never save, forgive and justify anyone. A Christian is not a law-keeping smoothie. A Christian is a recipient of God's grace in Christ. Now that said, grace doesn't let us off the hook in terms of personal holiness. After Paul in Romans has emphasized so strongly uh, the grace of God for sinners, for all of us who fall short of the glory of God, uh, he addresses this question, can we just go and live however we like then? This is Romans chapter 6. No, 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 we need to pursue godliness. We need to pursue holiness. See, that as the light of Christ shines on us, as we see the light of Christ, the glory of him, it needs to transform us and change our ways. That the things like the Beatitudes ought to be shining out of us. We ought to be bearing his character. As we understand and see the significance of what Christ did at the cross and his triumphant resurrection, it should spur us on to holiness. But when people see us with a passion to become more like Jesus, that will cut into society and leave its mark much more than all of us dressing in our Sunday best. You may feel like an oddity as you live a holy and godly life. But you know what? You're being far more human than you have ever been as you live faithful, godly lives. Lives as we were meant to live, in right relationship with Christ and with one another. So the greatest contribution we can make to the world as the people of God, the greatest contribution we can make to the King's mission of making disciples of all nations is our Christ-likeness, our holiness, The world desperately needs to see Christian lives that are authentic. It needs to experience Christ's revolution. I'm not saying we just live a life of deeds and don't open our mouths. Because every time you read in the Bible people becoming Christians, it's always as the word is preached. But it's the word preached and lives lived to the glory of God. Lives lived in the character. Someone said, what we urgently need is not more salesmen for Christianity. What we need is more free samples. Not a bad little quote, is it? We don't need more salesmen for Christianity. We need more free samples. Have you ever received a free sample without the salesman? Go hand in hand. 
but we need to give the priests angels. We need to give them Christ in us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus who came not to abolish the law but to fulfil it. We thank you for his righteousness that does surpass that of the Pharisees. We thank you that through his death for sin, his death in our place, we can be forgiven, justified, saved, made at one with you. Father, help us to turn to him and put our trust in him. And help that please transform us in our lives that we might give more samples of Christ to the world, both in what we do and what we say. Help us to live the character of Christ. Help us to treasure the Old Testament and to see how it points to Jesus. Help us to relish reading the Gospels and seeing how Christ fulfills your promises of the Old Testament. Help us to keep uh, studying the New Testament and seeing how Christ, the fulfilment of the law, ought to shape our lives as we live today in this world. Thank you for your grace in Christ. and Please transform us that we might live that in our lives day by day. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory that he may be known through the world. Amen.